0: Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel
1: Myers. This is week two of our Leviticus series. We are learning so much. So much. Turns out Leviticus is a pretty important book of the Bible It's a definite can't miss. I'll
0: tell you what it's not, Rachel. It's not boring. Oh, my word. Which, I'll be honest, is what I... Once upon a time, that's what Amanda thought.
1: I think you probably weren't No more. No more. So we have a guest this week. Her name is Felicia... Masonheimer, but you may know her on Instagram as Every Woman a Theologian. Felicia is a bestselling author. She's a Bible teacher, host of the Verity podcast. She is incredible and she is passionate about teaching Christians how to know what they believe, why they believe it, and how to share their faith authentically. This conversation with Felicia about one of her favorite books of the Bible. She is a girl that loves Leviticus, and she's turning us into girls that love Leviticus. This is awesome. It was an awesome conversation. Y'all, let's get right to it.
0: Okay, Felicia, it really described to you how excited I am to have you here today (laughs) because it's connected with how I learned about you in the first place. Would you like to hear that story? It's very short.
2: I would love to hear it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Some women in our office, young ladies who work on our editorial team, they are just such brilliant women, and they are constantly introducing me, like pointing out to me other women Mm -hmm. in the faith space who are Bible readers, Bible teachers. And so the first time, I believe that it was Agosa on our team, and she said, have you ever seen Felicia Masonheimer? And she showed me her Instagram account, and the thing she showed me was your reel on Leviticus. Ah! And I was like, "Oh, I like this lady. I like this girl. <laughs> like, we're gonna be friends." <laughs> yeah. And that's been a while. We'll since, link
1: to it because I feel like yeah, now that we we've should. mentioned it. We'll link we to it link to in it. the show notes.
0: But it's so funny because that was months ago, mm-hmm. and then when we were planning this podcast series, they resurfaced your name. And I was like, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And anyway, and then it turns out you're studying Leviticus independently
2: right now. I am. I loved that you reached out about this because it's on my mind. I'm working on it right now. And between you and me... It is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible, which, you know, everybody says they think I'm crazy, yes. no, but not. when I heard you were doing this study with your audience, I was like, yes, because it's so exciting and relevant. It's such mm-hmm. a good
1: book. This makes me uh-huh. so happy. I feel like we're coming to your side, because when we recorded last week— we were like, okay, like what would be our number one book of the Bible to podcast? Nobody said Leviticus. Um, <laughs> there were
0: four of us on yeah. that call I was like, no, we <laughs> but, would pick something else.
1: But even by the end of last week's episode, we were yeah. like, I don't know, like this is really fascinating. Okay, so just talk to us for a
2: minute, like Yeah. You said it's like one of your favorite books of the Bible. Like give us the sell on Leviticus. Like many people, Leviticus has not always been my favorite book. I found it very annoying and long (laughs) and dry and confusing. Uh And then my husband and I were very briefly for a couple of years in a Messianic Bible study. So this would be people who are Jewish but are Christian. And so we got to hear their perspective on Leviticus and their perspective on— how the sacrificial system both pointed to Jesus and was fulfilled by Jesus and just this rich rabbinic history behind Leviticus. And it just opened my eyes to how the entire Bible is full of this, especially books like Hebrews, of course, but Mm -hmm. the entire Bible has themes from Leviticus. And then just the division of how the first half of Leviticus has more to do between humans and God, their vertical relationship, and the Mm -hmm. second half is more a horizontal relationship, man to man, and how the laws reflect those differences. And that was just new to me. I have a religion degree. I studied the Bible professionally if you will and I didn't <laughs> know this stuff and I was like I was still struggling to read through it in a bible in a year plan <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> but That's it just real. opened, yeah. it really opened my eyes to it and then when I was reading these other books of the bible it would just send me back to Leviticus mm-hmm. over and over
1: okay I love that and we are as we get into This week, making our way to the middle of that chiastic structure that Mm -hmm. Wendell told us about, and it is in the front matter of this book, we're getting to do that zero in, that Mm -hmm. folding in, into, I think it's chapters 16 and 17, and then we'll get to come out, like you said, the way that it folds Mm -hmm. up relationally.
0: This is such a fun week to talk about with you because we get some of both, some of the vertical and some of the horizontal with the Day of Atonement right there in the middle Exactly. You were surprised. I won mean the to prize. just double
1: fist pumped the air, just to be clear.
0: <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So we are, if you have a study book, and I'm just going to say it again because I truly believe what I'm telling you. If you do not have this study book, this is one of those books of the Bible where I think you want this on your shelf. Yeah. Because it is so helpful. Mm-hmm. The information that is included in the front, like Rachel just alluded to, the front matter of the book. And then, praise the Lord. I actually have written down here we are. We're starting week two, and I'm on page 65 of my study book, and I have PTL for the section introductions of this book. <laughs> like the team just put together, you mentioned the chiastic structure. Each section has kind of an introduction in the study book so that we can kind of know, okay, here's what's happening in these chapters that we're about to read. And I found them as a reader and a student of the Bible to be very helpful. Yeah, I agree. And so, yes, here we are. We're actually going to have our feet in three different sections in this one week that we're talking about with you, Felicia. So there's a lot to cover, and we use the word cover very Mm -hmm. loosely. Mm -hmm. We'll cover everything. (laughs) But we are going to point some things out and get really excited and ask some questions that we may or may not have the answers to.
1: So before we turn the page, something that I know about you, Felicia, right, at least I think about you, is that you care a lot about educating readers of Scripture and how to read Scripture, how to read the Old Uh Testament, how to read the book of Leviticus. What can you tell us about that, either about the Old Testament or Leviticus specifically?
2: Oh, I love that question. Well, I think the first thing— we have to remember, and that you have probably talked about multiple times on the podcast, is we have to read the Old Testament understanding that this was written in a time different from ours and to a people yeah. very different from us. And I love the inductive method of Bible study, but specifically a method developed by a scholar named J. Scott Duvall about building what's called the interpretive bridge from the Old Testament to modern day, or any passage in Scripture to modern day. Basically, what he says is you have to grasp the text in their town, find the principle about God, and build a bridge based on that principle to your modern era. So you have to understand what the context was, who was being talked to, what the impact of this passage was on their culture, Mm -hmm, how they would have received it. And then from that, you can determine what's the principle about God. So let's say God is just as your principle. How does that then translate to our modern era? And too often, we go to the Old Testament, and we just want to find some moral value to you know yeah. memorize and walk out that day. But mm-hmm. that's not how it's meant to be studied. It's meant to be studied, first of all, to learn about God, not just about us. It's not meant to be a list of moral you know, teachings like an Aesop's Fables kind of thing. So when we come to it, we've got to keep in mind this is a different culture. So let's take the time to figure out what's the principle about God here? What am I learning here? And be okay with the fact that you might not get it right away. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're reading the Iliad or the Odyssey, you expect to be a little confused right mm-hmm. most students are like this was written 2000 years ago i'm super <laughs> yes. confused this is hard to understand but then when we read the bible it's like we expect it to not be hard and mm-hmm. it was written what 2 to 4000 years ago <laughs> so right. it's mm-hmm. like right. you know this is tough stuff and that's okay it's okay for that to be hard and to take the time to wrestle with it
1: yeah oh, okay that's i good. i love this and even like, you know, you just said when you began, Felicia, that, you know, this is something that we talk with our listeners about often, but I love hearing this from every voice that will talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that even just like the way that you articulated it feels fresh and different. And I love the reference to Dr. Duval. Like, yes, I love building that bridge and asking, you know, if this is first for them then and then for us now, that's very important in any time we approach any part of Scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe this is neither here nor there, but it continues to be fascinating to me. So, in our office here at She Reads Truth, the kitchen is on the opposite side of the building from the podcast mm-hmm. studio, which Very is probably important place, probably kitchen. best because noise and no noise yeah. for all of those reasons. But it means that really, before about every time we record, we take a walk to the kitchen and then we walk back from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And on our walk back from the kitchen, just now before we hit record. I was, like, saying to you, Amanda, like, I'm still blown away by what we learned in last week's episode, that, like, Mm -hmm. the book of Leviticus and really part of Exodus and part of Numbers all takes place over just, like, the course of about one year still sort of in the encampment at Mount Sinai. Yeah. And so, like, still thinking about those things, even, like, Felicia, as we think about... You know, like, this story, this setting begins with the golden calf, and then, you know, God giving the covenant, the law, and now giving the instructions for the tabernacle, and then them building it, and then this Levitical sacrificial system. It's all in the course of about a year, mm-hmm. but it just feels—it makes it feel more imminent than, like, if it was, like, and this all happened across 200 years or something like right. that.
0: Like, they're taking care of business here. Yeah. The Lord is yeah. like— Grab a pen, Moses. I got some stuff to say.
1: Here's why sin is dead serious. And I still want to be near you. And this is how we're going to make that possible. This is how I am going to make that possible. Here's how to do that. I love
2: that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: He's setting the expectation very clearly for what it means to be the covenant people of God. You know, I almost kind of think of it like a premarital counseling situation, you know, like if a covenant. Mm-hmm. Is this binding agreement between God and his people, which in scripture is often equated to a marriage covenant. That's the right. analogy that he uses. And then you have him setting out like, these are the expectations. This is what you're signing up for. This is when you enter into this covenant. This is what is required of you. And if you do this, you get to be a light to the nations. Like, I think that's one thing we forget with Leviticus is that, you know, we can tend to think God's so nitpicky, but Recognizing that this was a means of experiencing God's grace in that age. Yeah. And that they were living as the literal light to the world. That's right. At that time, you know, they were the light to the nations around them, and anyone could join, right? It wasn't like Israel's so much better. It's like, no, anyone who wants to follow God can come and live in this encampment and follow these laws and be in the presence of God. But Israel had to live a certain way to represent mm-hmm. God on earth. That's right. And that's yes. what all of these laws are about.
1: This is exactly the key verse for this study. It comes from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. And it says, You are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. Yeah. It just like summarizes that whole book yeah. of Leviticus, doesn't it?
2: Yep. Set apart,
1: mm-hmm. different. Yes.
2: Noticeably different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And not like better than. Right. Set apart for a specific use or consecrated for mm-hmm. that use to invite other people in
1: to mm-hmm. experience God. Like a moth to a flame. Like just be that light yep. that is mm-hmm. attractive to the world. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Man, that's, I mean, even just that'll preach, won't it? Just yes. that. Because mm-hmm. that's not just for them, then, is it? Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. How are we
1: being attractive to the world? How are we making, being the people of God, something that is to be desired?
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The section that we're walking into, so if you're following the, like, chiastic structure, we're kind of in the third section, or section C, (laughs) A, B, C. And we're walking into these chapters that are a collection of laws about purification and cleanness. Last week we had on Devaney and Wendell Cole, and Devaney is a scientist, Felicia, who like specializes in. I'm not going to get this exactly diseases, right, but ex- hematology, basically, like yes. things like this, <laughs> yeah. And so we got to talk a little bit about that with her, and just to kind of prepare to see going into these passages how this law is good. And make scientific sense, you know, when we get to those parts about cleanness and skin diseases and that kind of thing. But there's also this here in chapter 11 where it's just God, I feel like graciously giving instructions to say, okay, here's what's clean, here's what's unclean, here's what you can eat, here's what you can't eat. Here, you know, here are some rules Mm -hmm. so that you can be my people and be in my presence. And one of the things I remember, Felicia, about your Leviticus video, I think it was one of the things that you wrote on the whiteboard. I like it when you write on the whiteboard. I mean, it said, unclean does not equal sinful. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Talk to a little bit about that and what we're about to get
2: into here in 11. Well, this is a big thing we learned when we were in our messianic study is the nature of uncleanness and how it wasn't a matter of dirty and clean or like good or bad or, you know, evil and holy as much as it was consecrated and common. So these things that are called unclean aren't bad, they're just not consecrated for the presence of God. Okay, they're yeah. they're just common. They're just a part of human life on Earth. And That's when so we're coming, helpful. yeah, when we're coming into the presence of God, remember the actual concentrated presence of God is mm-hmm. dwelling there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've had I asked this question in that study. I said, well, we all have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So how is that you know that different than having right. God? in a tabernacle. Like, why don't I have to do that? And one thing that they speculated a little bit was, you know, we have the indwelling Spirit, and that's powerful. But even Scripture says that like the ultimate revelation of the glory of God is at the end of all things, right? And Mm -hmm. at this point in biblical history, this is the glory of God on earth
1: yeah, in the Holy of
2: Holies. And that is different than the indwelling Spirit. Same Spirit— Manifesting a different way. And so, if you see like all of the glory of God, you know, descending on this community, it makes sense that you would have to be consecrated to come before him. And that doesn't mean that, you know, sex or having kids or, you know, being sick or burying someone makes you bad. (laughs) Those are all like rites of passage that the Bible celebrates, you know, but it's something that God is saying, like, you are human, I'm divine. And you need to be consecrated to common worship. That's really what, you know, this is all about.
0: That's so helpful. This reminds me of, speaking of the little section introductions that I was bragging on earlier that our team (laughs) put together, there was a line that really was helpful for me. And it said that every aspect of Israelite life was meant to be a reminder of the need for salvation and restoration. Mm You know, and that even God was demonstrating that that He could restore all things. So you talk about sickness, you know, and we know from Jesus' teaching that sickness is not like necessarily like, well, you've sinned and so you're sick. Mm-hmm. Well, sure, we've all sinned mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we all get sick. And we're all um, broken. Yeah. Right. But that God is demonstrating that Everything that sin touches, which is everything, can be restored by him. And so I loved that of like, just, it's kind of a, you know, two sides of the same coin. Like, we see the depth of the impact of sin everywhere in us, on us, between, uh, you know, among Mm -hmm. us, Mm -hmm. in the world, but we also see his full ability to restore yeah, all things and to restore us, so that we can be in His presence, because that's ultimately that will be our ultimate end, mm-hmm. our forever. Amen. Will be in His presence. So you all are going to get to read about so many animals this week. You're going to have a <laughs> great time. I underlined words like did. Yeah,
1: the sorry, bug, Katie did. Yeah, I saw your little next like, to Katie did. That's Katie cute. Did. Yeah. I mean, So my question is, like this Leviticus 11, this clean and unclean animals, if I am a practicing Jewish person today, am I still observing these rules?
2: It really depends on the Messianic Jew that you're talking to. I know some Jewish individuals who become believers and they say, nope. I'm free from these practices, but I know many others who do still practice the law to the degree they can. Now, obviously, they, mm-hmm. they're not sacrificing because there's no temple, right. but yeah. they are practicing kosher law. They're practicing and observing the festivals. They're observing these things, but they're observing them with an eye to the fulfillment through the Messiah. Yeah. So it does depend on who you're talking to. But um, And then a
1: non-Messianic Jew mm-hmm. would be observing this still pretty closely? Without the sacrifices. Well,
2: depending on how devout they are. You know, a non-Messianic Jew, it would depend on if they're observant or not. There's different sects of Jewish observance and culture. Yeah,
0: yeah. I appreciate in Leviticus when, you know, there's so much detail, right, and you're just kind of combing through it, and you're like, wow, there's lots of lists and lots of really specific instructions. And so here at the end of chapter 11 in our Monday reading, I like it when there's a, then there's a summary. It's like, <laughs> here's what, all the things that I just said. And so we get one of those here in 1146. This is the law, all the things that have come before. This is the law. Concerning animals, birds, all living creatures that move in the water and all creatures that swarm on the ground in order to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the animals that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. So it just feels like, you know what I kept thinking of, Rachel? We talk about this sometimes in like, in the context of our office culture and in working with our team and, and, you know, working with teammates that sometimes we'll say clarity is kindness. I knew that's where you were heading because I agree, yes. And that just came to mind so many times here where I'm just like, I just feel so kind of the Lord Mm -hmm. to just be like, I am going to spell it out. Mm -hmm. Here's what you can do and what you can't do. (laughs) Yeah. And then we get into just so many, guys, just get ready. You're going to read about bodies and functions of bodies and Sicknesses and all of the things. What were you going to say?
1: Well, I just was having a thought, and I don't know. This may go somewhere and this may go nowhere. Get excited. Yeah. That's my favorite. You mentioned last week, Amanda, that there was a surprising and delightful amount of God's words in the book of Leviticus. Like, there, he is speaking. There's so many direct quotes. So, I mean, then the Lord spoke to Moses. Yes. And the Lord spoke to Moses, like so much of this. And I just, I don't know. Then my brain started going to, is this the book of the Bible that has the most. Direct quotes from God. And I can't ask you that because you don't know. I don't you know. You weren't prepared you for that question. Think about
0: like the prophets and I know, like Isaiah. And all, and all like,
1: of it is God's it's word. A lot. It's not a dumb question, but it is, it's a bigger question. Somebody out
2: there mm-hmm. with a calculator can <laughs> yeah. that out for us. I'd be curious to know that too, because mm-hmm. it is a lot of his words for sure,
0: mm-hmm. which so many makes you quotes.
2: you know, understand that this is God's, it's hard to remember because it seems so foreign and distant from us, but this is God's affection yes. Yes. on display. Yep. because he's giving all of this so they can live in community with him, so they can yes. live in his presence. Well, and they can even wh- dwell with him,
1: whether it's the most words from God in this book of the Bible or, or not. And again, I want to reiterate that the Bible is God's word and that Jesus is the original translation. But you understand the word, the terms which I'm speaking, even if it's like really high up there. What a miss to miss out on the book of Leviticus like mm-hmm. if this is of the 66 books like God is speaking God is speaking God is speaking we should be like like you're saying Felicia like this book is a treasure because yeah. it's God speaking
2: yeah. right yeah and such a foreshadowing of what he's doing through Jesus and what yes what he's transforming through the atonement when it gets to that point it's a very hopeful book yes but you've got to, you know, wrestle a little bit with the context to kind of get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's for the hard part. Yeah. Absolutely. It's one of those books of the Bible where I feel like if
0: you're imagining yourself kind of on like, Well, I was going to say a ladder, but there's got to be something better. But where you are like zooming in and you want to read up close and the details, obviously they're important and they matter, but you also want to find yourself zooming out and like, Mm -hmm. okay, what is the big picture here? And then what? Like it's one of those back and forths, like where a lot of times we can get just kind of a straight narrative and Mm -hmm. it's not as much that. But this can get, like you said, with the Bible in your plan, like we can get bogged down. In some of the details, but then to zoom out and go, wow, Mm -hmm. the details are such grace and mercy and love for God's people. Mm
1: -hmm. Which it's like it just says, I love you. I love you. Yeah. I love you. Which, but that's not what it sounds like,
0: right? If you're just encountering it for the first time. But the skin disease section, (laughs) so there's like, Purification after childbirth, there's a lot to say about skin diseases and what happens if someone has something on their body. There's this really interesting, like the role of the priest, it's so specific and also so broad. It's like, okay, the priest is is acting it like the way you think that a priest would and making sacrifices on behalf of the people. He's also a little, there's a bit of a physician like Mm -hmm. happening here where, you know, the priest is inspecting skin and looking for the colors of the hair coming out of the skin and the colors of the skin itself and the depth of the wound. And it reminded me, of course... Of the great physician. Yeah. But it's like, but truly, God created our bodies. Mm -hmm. And that's what Devaney was saying last week. She was like, I mean, he would know
2: how to care
0: for his people.
2: So these passages, they come close to home for me because I have a pregnancy-induced autoimmune disease. So in the passages that they'll be studying this week, Mm -hmm. it talks about skin diseases, and it also talks about you know, discharges and like mm-hmm. bleeding yeah. and purification when after a woman is bleeding, purification yes. for skin diseases. So the disease that I have is induced by pregnancy, but because it's hormonally related, every single cycle, it comes back. So every mm-hmm. single month. And most of the people listening are women, so I'm yeah. just yeah. We're good yeah. to be detailed. Mm-hmm. But essentially, because of the hormonal issues that I've had after pregnancy, I may bleed anywhere from two weeks to eight weeks, like it's a really annoying at least and devastating at best experience. And because of that bleeding, I, for five years, had a skin condition that as soon as that bleeding would begin, my skin would break out in almost what's described in Leviticus, these open wounds on my face, on my arms, on my neck, on my legs, my feet. It was Horrible, devastating. I couldn't wear makeup. I couldn't. There was nothing that would heal it. Yeah. Couldn't cover it. It was horrible and terribly painful. Yeah. And you know, when you read about this in in the Old Testament and you see this, like the skin diseases and these issues of blood, as they say, or you know, having to purify yourself after this kind of thing, going through that experience for five years just showed me, like, you know, the question in each of these passages is, what does this tell you about the brokenness of humanity? And Mm -hmm. when you've lived through those kinds of diseases or those kinds of disorders, it tells you this is how broken humanity is. This is how broken the world is. And Mm -hmm. like you said, that there is this hope in both the great high priest— in Hebrews, right, mm-hmm. and the great physician, and for me, walking through an autoimmune disease that you know ravaged my body and looked exactly <laughs> like what's described in wow, Leviticus. Yeah. Who wants that to happen? Yeah. Knowing that Christ is both high priest and yes. healer, mm-hmm. yes, is like a full circle kind of yes of moment, even if that's lasting, you know, years and years and years, you still have that restoring hope and that ultimate redemption that God promises. And so, Leviticus can be both like this hope looking forward, but it can also be a comfort to see how God met people in that kind of suffering and what he was willing to do in order to make a way for them to remain in his presence. And that's a foreshadowing of what he's then doing when you get to places like Hebrews that talk about Jesus as this high priest and what he is doing for the people. And it says in Hebrews 7, 11, if then perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? And what he's talking about is the coming high priest, Jesus, has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Yeah. And that he is that high priest. And that's that's the hope that I think when I was walking through this disease and looking at things like Leviticus and seeing myself yes. in it, seeing the woman with the issue of blood whose account is in this section of reading, who Jesus healed, your faith has made you well. Those were stories that I resonated with. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, that I walked through. And it calls us back to the hope of who God is and how God and Jesus are the same. Across the whole narrative. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Even that she grasped essentially the hem of his priestly garment, like the Mm -hmm. the place of healing, that low place. That's yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's really beautiful. Felicia, thank you for sharing that with us. That's that was a vulnerable share and it means a lot because wow, that was just really beautiful. Thank you.
0: And I love like what you said, Felicia, about (laughs) that, okay, this is, you know, the beginning of our conversation we're saying like this is a book about God. And like, what are we learning about God? And these laws, like the ones that you're talking about, the goal of these is to restore fellowship within the community, like to restore that individual back to the community and to restore them back to God's presence, for them to be able to be in God's presence confidently, knowing that they're purified and clean. And so, there was actually a place where one of the footnotes in the reading in the Bible, the translation that we were using, was talking about if a woman who has... There's lots of biology words in here, guys, but like if a woman has discharge that's not like her period, and the footnote was like, this actually indicates a chronic condition. Mm -hmm. And so to think about the way that those with chronic illnesses can be marginalized socially, but also just like logistically. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's the word quarantine is used in Leviticus, Mm -hmm. which now means new things to us on this side of 2020. And to see that God and God's people are inviting them back in, inviting them, almost pulling them back in, like you are to go see the priest. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. You know, and like that's like a proactive, like I want you to draw near and I want to draw near to you Mm -hmm. as the Lord your God. Mm -hmm. And so it really... I felt like on like subsequent reading, I was like, oh, I see the hope in here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see it. I didn't see it at first. Yep. At first, I felt like, oh, because this makes me uncomfortable, I assume this is negative.
1: Yeah. That's not the right. case at all. Right. I love thinking about that the illnesses are the things that actually draw them back into the priest, yes. yeah. where it's not like, because you're sick, you must make a sacrifice. Like, be sorry for this. But yeah. like, no, come to see the priest. Wow.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the difference of seeing the sacrifices as this duty that had to be fulfilled and instead seeing the sacrifices as a means of experiencing God's grace. God Mm -hmm. was handing them the means Mm -hmm. of experiencing His grace. And the reason that it had to be a sacrifice is because He is perfectly holy
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: He is redeeming the brokenness of the world. This is God saying, I'm going to literally give you a step-by-step, play-by-play way to live in basically a return to Eden, as Jay Sklar says. Mm -hmm. He says it was God's return to Eden as best he could create it. I mean, God can create whatever he wants, but operating within the freedom of humanity to sin, right? The brokenness Mm -hmm. of the world. He has created a law where they can return to the format of Eden and mm. that dwelling with him, if they are willing to do it. I mean, when we don't understand the holiness of God, I think we have less of an appreciation for the grace of God and what he's yeah. doing here.
1: Yeah. yeah. I like that, that the sacrifices were a way to experience
0: his grace. It's really, really helpful. We'll read on Tuesday from Luke 5. You had just said a minute ago, Felicia, that like, Jesus and God are the same. (laughs) So I love with all of this that we're reading in Leviticus 11 in mind, this passage from Luke 5, starting in verse 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing be made clean and immediately the leprosy left him then he ordered him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest he said and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them but after reading paragraph after paragraph of god's provision to keep the community healthy Mm-hmm. Of like, here's how to do that. Here's how to not spread. Like, Devony was explaining that like just the tiniest molecule can spread some of these diseases. And like, so in light of that, that Jesus, the atonement, mm-hmm. um, that He touched the untouchable, and in and, that order, touched yeah. Him
1: and then said, "You're clean. Yeah. Be
0: made clean." Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And by His word, mm-hmm. it was so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So good. That's fascinating. And just so encouraging. You know, again, as someone who's had a chronic illness, this and then the Mm -hmm. following account of him with the woman in Matthew 9, it's on page 80. It's so encouraging. That's his desire. yeah. In his sovereignty, sometimes illness is not taken away. I mean, again, I had it for five years, and I may still have it. It's just in remission. I was healed through my son's birth. But... Mm. At the same time, like God's desire Uh is to heal. And if it doesn't happen on earth, it happens ultimately in his presence one day, you know, after death. And his desire redeems that brokenness in the world. That's right. Yeah.
1: So if the book of Leviticus is the middle of the Pentateuch and 16 and 17 in Leviticus Uh are the middle of Leviticus, and like Everything is like a little arrow pointing to this section. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited that we finally get to talk about atonement. Like this is like, if it's all pointing to this thing. Like, let's go. Let's talk yep. about atonement. And I mean, I have things to say. I have some thoughts, but I see your eyebrows going up and down real fast, Felicia. Like, <laughs> take us. Like, let's go. Let's talk about like Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Let's go. Well, this is the
2: holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Yeah, that's right. Right, This is the day that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is the only day when the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. And then there's all of these rules for how he's to go about it, right? Yes. Very, very important moment. And I love that in this study, so on page 88, you have here... After we're studying through the Day of Atonement and everything that has to happen for, you know, this, these sacrifices that are being offered for the people's sin, we then see, and it's behind the curtain, right? It's behind the curtain that separates mm-hmm. the Holy of Holies from the people and they're gathering okay. and from the priests, from everyone. In Mark 15, when Jesus dies, it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we don't have an understanding from Leviticus of the sanctity of the Day of Atonement and the fact that you couldn't just bop behind the curtain whenever you felt like it. This wasn't like, oh, people are going in and out of there all the time. I think we don't realize, you know, if you've never seen a diagram of the tabernacle or the temple and you don't realize that, like, there's an outer court inner court, Mm -hmm. there's the you know inside Mm -hmm. of it, and then there's the Holy of Holies, and only one day a year can one person enter that place. If you don't know that, the significance of the curtain being ripped in two is from top to bottom, so no man could have done it, is lost on us, right? And this just goes back. This is not a
1: housewares issue.
2: Right. This is not like, (laughs) oh man, it's just a threadbare curtain. They should have done a better job. This is a big deal that this is recorded here and that right. that happened and it was like done an epic in a detail. way yeah very important and again this just shows us that these things that were in Leviticus that were taken for granted by Jesus himself and all of his mm-hmm. Jewish followers they would have known this inside and out and upside down we don't because we don't grow up in Torah school we don't grow up mm-hmm. being taught Leviticus we skip it <laughs> yeah you know we don't realize when we get to the gospels just how impactful that was and that it was symbolic of an end to that need for a human intercessor. The high priest had come. The new high priest had come. And this significance
1: would not have been lost on them.
2: Like, there would have been a, like—I just want to imagine the
1: buzz around Jerusalem of, like, the curtain is torn from top Mm -hmm. to bottom. Like, folks must have been talking about this. Like, I just—I'm so curious— how many people saw and believe? Like, I just, the significance and that it is, again, talking about. And to it was loud. And loud.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. It made a noise.
1: Like, and yeah. something
2: that may be helpful too, I think it's in Exodus, actually. I just studied Exodus and I believe it's in Exodus, is where they talk about Moses records how the curtain was made. And mm-hmm. this is, mm-hmm. we're not talking about like a shower curtain you pick up at Target. Like, we're not yeah. talking about something like a thin sheet of fabric. This was like a thick, Woven curtain of multiple like a threads. Tapestry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tapestry yeah. that women had worked on to create. And so this is thick and it's heavy and it's beautiful. And that is what is ripped into as Jesus dies. Mm-hmm. And so the significance mm-hmm. of of that is so powerful. Yeah, and of yeah. course, the significance of it being at Passover and all of this is just it's so beautiful. And Leviticus gives us. The context for what then happens in the Gospels, which is yeah. just the coolest thing in the world.
1: Yes, <laughs> in and, my and opinion. Thank you for pointing out, even like that, it happened at Passover. Like, that is, again, another significance that would not have been lost on them. We could miss that if yeah. we were not like students of scripture as a community we just read the book of exodus this summer and so reading this is just going like wait i remember when that curtain was made exactly. i remember what it was made from in the yeah. like looting of the egyptians like mm-hmm. there is a lot of significance there of course that's a different curtain because it's a different temple period but right still, exactly the, the same concept though
2: you know similar yes. structure would have been used and Absolutely. and jesus dying on the day of preparation for passover when the lambs are being prepared mm. to die is yeah. when Jesus went to die. And so, it's just this powerful picture and just the intention of God, right? Mm-hmm. This is not an accident. Jesus mm-hmm. knew when to go to Jerusalem, and He mm-hmm. knew what He was going to do there. And so, mm-hmm. it's just this beautiful, cohesive story, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a cohesive story.
1: And to whom was the birth of Jesus announced? To shepherds. Like, it mm-hmm. was to the shepherds that first got to hear, like, that the Messiah had come, the baby had been born, because they were the ones that were tending the lambs. And that mm. also is significant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: On many levels, On many levels, yes. I think that's what we're discovering about Scripture in general. I love it. this reading day, the center of our study in the book of Leviticus, when we read chapters 16 and 17, we get to read a couple of verses from Romans 3, and there was something here that I'd never noticed. I love this. Romans 3 is talking about Jesus, and in verse 25 says, "...God presented him as the mercy seat." By his Hmm. blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Mm -hmm. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and to justify the one who has faith in Jesus. But Jesus, as the mercy seat, Hmm. had never... I don't know. I don't know if I've read it in different translation. Like, I'm curious to—and I did not look it up in other translations. Which is the
1: top of the Ark of the Covenant in which
0: contains the tablets of the law. I mean, it's the place of of atonement. Like, you were just describing about the day of atonement. Hmm. And so that that place is now—that's Jesus now. So y'all listening, if you have your study books, like Amanda
1: said, do not miss—like, I can't read everything, and that's for you guys to enjoy as you read, but like— the section opener for Section D called Atonement on page 83. Like, I was like, I want to read the whole thing. I know, me too. I, I know. It's fascinating, and these little touch points are going to help you as you experience reading the Scripture yourselves
0: this week. Whew. Yes, absolutely. Now, when we get on the other side of our chiastic center— yeah. Of Leviticus, we get into what you talked about earlier, Felicia. These kind of horizontal relationship laws and rules, and and so we see. I mean, our day twelve readings are titled "Love for Neighbor," mm-hmm. and I actually do think we should read maybe this here. Please the, do this here. Yeah, I I'm, I'm from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. This here at the beginning of chapter eighteen. I like to hear our people read scripture. Would you want to read this for us?
2: Just like the first five verses, Felicia, of Leviticus yeah, 18. Sure. Leviticus 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow their customs. You are to practice my ordinances and you are to keep my statutes by following them. I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. I am the Mm -hmm. Lord. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Mm -hmm.
0: It is all throughout this section of Leviticus, just over and over and over. And it's that concept that you were talking about Mm -hmm. before with, you know, you are to be light to the nations by the way that you are living. And you are, I've set you apart to be mine, and I'm going to show you how to live like your mind. <laughs> and
1: I mean those five verses mm-hmm. it is echoed through <laughs> the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It is reflect me to the world don't reflect the world mm-hmm. back to themselves. It is mm-hmm. be set apart. It is as for me and my household we will serve the Lord and it takes us as we talked about mm-hmm. 2 weeks ago when we were studying Ruth like this was, you know, the people of Israel were just starting to behave like the people around them and it actually took a foreigner coming in and going your god will be my god. I want mm-hmm. to serve him and and I want to root myself here. Mm-hmm. But this will be something that on this day that this releases we will be struggling with as the people of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not reflecting the culture around us but instead reflecting God to the culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And part of our worship is the way we mm-hmm. live our lives and like the ethics that the Lord has has established for us. And so it's in that context of those five verses that The Lord gives like some really clear instructions. Like it starts Mm -hmm. with instructions about like sexual ethics. And it's like, okay, you're to be set apart as mine. So here's what that means. And because we can presume that all of these descriptions of the things that you're not to do this, you're not to do that. These are things that the cultures around them are doing. And he's like, You are not to do that. Yeah. You are to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and it keeps going. It goes way beyond that to, you know, this laws of holiness section in Leviticus 19 is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. What things stand out to you in all of this and those horizontal relationships that you were talking about, Felicia?
2: Well, it's just so interesting that God intentionally constructs the book of Leviticus to where you have to get your relationship with Him right before you can get your relationship with others right. You can't get your relationship with others right if you are not open to God's leading on your priorities, your Mm -hmm. attitudes, your walk with Him. You know, it's things like bitterness or anger towards your brother, right? If you don't confess that to the Lord and keep short accounts with Him— that's going to overflow in how you treat other people and whether you have quality friendships and whether you can truly forgive. It can even carry over to your health. I mean, it's scientifically proven that bitterness, unforgiveness affects your actual physical health. And so, you know, I think it's just so neat, like you said in last week's episode about how, you know, science shows that God's advice on this community's treatment of sickness leads, you know, to Mm. better health into a healthy community. In the same way, the way he's constructed the law to be vertical relationship with him first, and then horizontal relationship based on that leads to a healthy spiritual community, a healthy relational community. And when we try to do things, you know, flipped or try to cut God out of our relationships or segment our relationships off from our spirituality, it doesn't work because— He has to be pervading every single part of who we are. That's what I think about when I see how the law is, is laid out. Yeah, that's
0: so good. And it's his provision and it's his protection that it's good. mm mm-hmm.
1: Well, we are at the end of our week. No, we are. It's true. (laughs) I'm really, really glad that we got to, first of all, meet you, Felicia, but that our she's, our listeners got to meet you too, especially knowing that you're writing a study on Leviticus. That, you know, we've done, you know, three weeks here, but if they want to like learn more and dig in, and I wouldn't blame them because I would too. Like, I love that you're putting together something, a resource. On this book, which it won't be ready by the time this airs, correct?
2: Right. No, no. And what I so love—nothing that we can link
1: to, but yeah,
2: it will be releasing in early 2023. And what I love is it's pretty different from your study, which I think yeah. is good because this yeah. gives you a really like intense overview, which is excellent because you need mm-hmm. to have an overarching view of a book. I would say mm-hmm. first. And yeah. then my study is a verse by verse study, so it's much Ooh, more wow. detailed. So I think okay, that cool. those who've done this study, it would be actually great for them to have done this first. And yep. then if they want to go into more detail, my study would be chapter by chapter. You know, each chapter is one chapter of Leviticus, and it will be verse by verse for more detail.
1: I'm so glad you're doing that. That's incredible. I love that.
2: We're this excited. So good. <laughs>
1: Well, here at SRTHQ, we like to call that good, hard, worth it work. What you're doing. It is all three. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is good and the it is hard and it yep. is worth it. But the fact that you're putting
0: that together is incredible. I'm grateful. And what a resource. And you spend so much time doing that, I know. creating helpful resources to help people That's read. Right. The Bible and like that's our jam, Felicia. I'm so glad to be friends with you now because I feel like this was we needed this. We needed to needed you as a buddy.
1: I know we're supposed to be wrapping right now, but I feel like I can't hang up so to speak without asking. So your like Instagram handle, your title is "Every Woman a Theologian." Can you tell me why? Like, what do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Our shop on Instagram is "Every Woman a Theologian," and that's the organization that. I founded with my team. And the reason for that is because I believe that every woman is capable of knowing God for herself without it having to be secondhand information, which I know you guys also believe. You ladies are ushering people down that road to read the Bible for themselves, to own it for themselves. And um, we take it, you know, we take it kind of a little bit beyond just scripture to, okay, what are the concepts that we find in scripture and what do scholars and theologians call these things? They call salvation theology, soteriology, you know, end times theology is eschatology. What does that mean? How can we understand those terms and how do we recognize our own ologies? How do we ask, Mm. what do we believe? Why do we believe it? And can we communicate that graciously to other people? So most of what I do is teach people how to take what they've learned in Scripture and communicate it effectively to their kids, their neighbors, their friends, etc. And that's the fun part of this because it it changes who you are, right? Mm -hmm. But then it also is a part of how you are a light to your world, just like Israel was supposed to be exactly. to the nations around them. So that's what we do at Every Woman a Theologian. So a lot of our resources are theology for beginners. That's what we do. That's perfect. I oh. love it. hey so excited. I'm glad I
1: asked, because I love getting to hear about that, and I love that she's getting to hear that too. So we are out of time, sadly. I would be remiss to not point out, as we talk about festivals and all of these things that are put in place for the sake of remembrance. Y'all also know that we just last Wednesday released a bonus podcast episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to that. about We're launching Advent and our Advent study book and all of the things that will come at the end of November. But Advent is one of our favorite seasons in the year, just like a festival. It's a point on the church calendar where we as a set-apart people, do a set-apart thing to remember that Jesus walked among us. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got time in your day, it's only a 30-minute episode, but Amanda and I just chat together about what is Advent, and why do we observe it, and what is She Reads Truth doing for Advent this year? So all of those things are in that episode. But if you haven't listened to it yet, I encourage you to Seek that one out next as you're on your walk or whatever you're doing, but we will be back next week for the third and final week of our Leviticus series, and then... Um, Rachel Jones is going to be here next Rachel week. Rachel Jones I'm will excited. be with us, but you guys know, if you listened to the last couple episodes, we've told you that what comes after Leviticus, in the series Truth community, we open the book of Hebrews, and we are prompt mm-hmm. to read Hebrews in light of having just read Leviticus. So it's going to be I mean, good. the
0: high-fiving is going to be just off oh, the charts. I'm
1: just, I'm beside myself excited. It's going to be good. Okay, Felicia, thank you again for joining us. Man, you are a joy. Thank you for having me. Come back, friends, next week for Rachel Jones and week three. But until next week, Felicia, what do we tell our friends?
2: Keep opening your Bibles.